Well, hello, this is the Trophy Room, aka Trophy Room Radio, wherever you are waking up on Monday. I appreciate you making me part of your day. We got Josh Allen's struggles to talk about. We got Washington's struggles to talk about. And uh, how good are these Philadelphia Eagles and how bad are the Detroit Lions? That is all coming up. Go over to Game Changers, pick something up. They just dropped 70 new styles this last week. I think I told you I saw... I love it when you guys send me pictures of your game changer stuff, by the way. I saw um, a United States of America, Team USA, soccer, game changer shirt that I didn't even know they had. So I swear half the time you guys send me stuff and then I see it and I'm like, whoa, didn't realize we had that going on. So there's a bunch of new stuff over there. The stuff just keeps on getting better and better, better. They recently dropped colleges um, and also... I'm not even pumping the company up, but they're blowing up. Like Bryce Harper is wearing these things. Allen Iverson's wearing these things. Deshaun Watson, AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts. Everybody is on the game changers grind. This isn't even like a read up ad read, but it's pretty legit what they're doing over there. So look, I'm not saying go pick up anything, but I'm just saying if I'm just saying, okay. So I'm pretty happy because the last few weeks, these primetime matchups have been everything but sexy. And then I remember at the end of last week's Sunday Night Football game seeing, oh shoot, we got Dolphins and Eagles on the slate for this Sunday. And you guys know, I picked the Eagles to be great last year and they kept on rolling and they were everything and more that I expected them to be. And they drafted the entire George Bulldogs defense. So, yeah, I'm a little bit of an Eagles fan. But at the end of the day, I wanted last night to be good. And I would argue that it was as good as it could have been. And I would also argue that, man, the Eagles look scary. But you're going to wake up this morning and there's going to be a lot of people saying, Oh, well, it's not fair that they run the tush push because it's such a guaranteed play. There's no way to stop it. Interesting. That sounds like, to me, we all watched The Incredibles. We all saw Dash. And we all grew up as kids thinking, wouldn't it be sweet to be a superhero and just outrun and outperform everybody yeah, we all thought that. And then you see Flash in the movie, and he gets first place, and then his parents have to tell him to slow down. Losers. And if you're telling the Eagles, well, it's not fair that this is a guaranteed two yards. I mean, the in the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, they were rolling. I mean, they had one drive down at the end of the game where I think they had two fourth and ones back-to-back that were both tush-push, and one of them was more of a fourth and two than it was a fourth and one. And they still annihilated it. I, I, I'm i all for taking things out of the game that give an unfair advantage that are also dangerous. So there's no, there is zero evidence to support the idea so far that we've seen that the tush push is dangerous. 
So when people are going to wake up this morning and tell you they need to get rid of the brotherly shove because nobody else can do it. Kate, but think about it. If you're a dad listening to this, or if you're a kid listening to this, if your kid comes to you, dad, and says, hey, it's not fair that the other team has this really big kid and he just keeps running the ball. If you tell your son, okay, hold on. I'm going to go talk to the commissioner of the league. I'm going to go talk to the other coach. No, because none of you are losers. None of you are, no one of you would do that. You would say, you know what, son? All good. We're going to find a way for you to cut stick his legs. Cut sticks a Madden phrase. I'm not proposing anything malicious. You find a way to win. That's how the real world works. And the problem is, if everyone else had, if everyone else's quarterback squatted 600 pounds, I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what you're attacking here. You're tearing down the idea that Jalen Hurts squats more than your quarterback, probably two, three times more than your quarterback. Is it unsafe for your quarterback to be squatting 600 pounds? Maybe. But he does it. And I don't think it's fair for us to take that away from him. The other thing is, Think about this. When was the last time an offensive lineman got credit for anything? The Blind Side, the Kelsey documentary, and uh, and what? Like, even if they pick up the ball, they can't even advance it. They get to do nothing. They get to have, well, not nothing. They get no credit. They get no respect. So to watch this and give all of the credit to this offensive line and say, look at that push. And then the brotherly shove behind it. I'm all for it because the offensive line has had enough taken from them as is. And I'm not ready to add this to that list. But how good are the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, here's what we know. We still know the NFC to be largely Eagles, 49ers, Lions. And we'll get to the Lions in a little bit. But out of all of those, tell me you're not taking the Eagles. This is what happens when you play the ball between the tackles. When you have an... You have I mean, let's be honest about this. There's a reason that the Dallas Cowboys are always in games, and why is it? It's because they've always got, they always have a defensive line, and they always pay their offensive line. Look at the 49ers. Reason there and everything. Yeah, Trent Williams and the boys, Nick Bosa and the boys, and then obviously everything else. I'm not diminishing everything else, but I'm just saying. These guys who keep getting after it with the exception of Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Elite on the front side on both sides of the ball. Yes, yes, we get it. I I love Jalen Hurts. All world talent. Same with A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard. And then, oh yeah, Howie Rosen says, Georgia, 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 Georgia. And... You watched the game last night. Tua couldn't do anything. I mean, the only time that Tyreek Hill even got yards was Tua saying, F it, he's down there somewhere. And there were a couple passes that he literally just lofted. Because it's very interesting. I mean, you saw them do, if you've watched any Georgia football games, you know they have 
patented this defensive line shift that throws the subconscious of the offensive line off because they're wondering, wait, did we snap the ball and I missed it? And also, you have to realign. They drafted all these guys from the same college. So they've done this before together. The one thing that does concern me about that defensive line is you saw this last night. (laughs) Jalen Carter's probably going to get ejected from one of these games here soon. I'm not happy about that. Sometimes the guy plays like an idiot. So we... uh, We'll have to see how that goes. But the point being, you got to have, unless you have a Tom Brady or Brady, Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, and even then, you got to have a complete football team that begins and ends with the front side of both sides of that line. Okay. I really don't like being right in this scenario I love being right I don't be like being right about this but I would argue the fact that I am right about this proves that I can I can call it even when I don't like it oh guys what happened to Josh Allen last night not last night yesterday afternoon for most of you Josh Allen struggled, and it was almost like played the Jets, ah, struggled. Played a couple games, got back on tra- track, whipped the Raiders up a little bit, and then got right back to it with the New England Patriots. And yes, the the easy stigma is, well, the New England Patriots shut down everybody. Not really. Like, they yes. Bill Belichick tends to come for quarterbacks as far as playing with their minds and what they see. But here's what I saw. Josh Allen, I think, sees Patrick Mahomes as validation. So he sees Pat and he says, well, okay, someone's doing it in the league and it works and they're supported, so therefore I can get away with it. I can also do it. Truth. However, look at what the Patriots were running yesterday. Obviously, they were getting after the quarterback. But what they were really doing, they were guarding the deep routes and force shot, forcing. They almost played to his insecurities. Josh Allen was looking up top for everything. And the problem became, the Patriots said, no, throw the check down. We dare you. And Josh Allen couldn't get his brain to say, okay, this is success. Um, Who was it yesterday? Oh, James Cook. Yesterday during that game, sideline reporter came on, talked talked about James Cook. um, And James Cook had a really interesting quote. He talked about how when he was in college, three yards, four yards wasn't successful. He was breaking off 15, 20 yarders, or even 10 yarders. He said he's, and, and, and that played with his mind a lot the last year. 
He said in order to be successful at the NFL level is you have to change your levels and definition of success. He said four yards in the NFL, that's success. But he didn't realize that last year. And I think Josh Allen's problem is when he was in college, when you're that talented, you can get away with whatever you want. I think now he's having to retrain and say, dude, it is okay sometimes for you to hit the three-yard out route for you to hit the flat route to the running back, for you to hit the button hook from the running back. It's okay to hit a check down for only three yards. Not every play has to be a 30-yard highlight. And I think that's causing a lot of problems for him. And that may be the reason why they don't even win their division, let alone make the playoffs and not even come close to touching the Super Bowl. And then we may start asking the question, okay, these guys aren't with it. How do we fix it? Okay. We got to give a little bit of a shout out to one Baker Mayfield. Baker is growing up in front of our eyes. Because if you juxtapose his press conferences now to his press conferences, I mean, really any year before this one, but mostly his first couple years in the league when he was uber arrogant. I think last year, those couple games he had with the Rams, he started to learn things. But life is not about how how many times you fail, right? Life is about how do you respond to failure. And in Baker Mayfield's case, I think it is failure. I don't think just because you lose a game, I don't think it's failure. Failure to me is the conscious effort of not giving everything you had and not making every choice that was possibly in your power. And Baker Mayfield, for the first few years of his career, had a really, really poor attitude where he lacked accountability and everything was someone else's fault. And when you go from being the guy in college, getting away with whatever you want, to nothing works in the NFL... I think the immediate mental breakdown is it's everyone else's fault because I'm still me. Not the case. Now, Baker still had the chip on his shoulder and he's still angry at the other team, but I think he's becoming more likable of a quarterback, a guy that people are good to play with and good to support, whereas I think in the past it was, look, he's my quarterback, so if we win, we ride, but if we don't, we die. Which leads me into my tether point between topic this topic and the next one. If I was an NFL GM, I would have this rule. You never draft a Heisman Trophy winner. Well, why is that? I was sitting on the couch the other day, and we were talking about Caleb Williams. And before you call me crazy... Let me just pull you up. Heisman Trophy quarterback. If you want to draft other guys, sure. But let me just read you the Heisman quarterbacks for the last for the last two decades, two and a half decades. Bryce Young, he's struggling right now. Joe Burrow, anomaly. Kyler Murray, struggling. Baker Mayfield, uh. Lamar Jackson, anom- anomaly. 
Marcus Mariota, bust. James Winston, bust. Johnny Mazel, bust. RG3, bust. Cam Newton, people will argue with me. But for all intents and purposes, bust. And and we'll, we'll come back to why in a second. Sam Bradford, bust. Tim Tebow, bust. Troy Smith, bust. Matt Liner, bust. Jason White, bust. Carson Palmer, and Eric, Eric Crouch, bust. Here's why. You know this. You listen to me. We talk about this. Expectations. Now, some people are considered uber successful because they exceed expectations. <laughs> but let's take Donald Trump. I, I still think it's valid success, but let's compare Donald Trump to... Um, the guy from pursuit of happiness goes from being homeless to being this big top dog guy. Donald Trump goes from coming from somewhere with money to having more money. Which story would you say is more inspirational? Of course, you're going to go with the pursuit of happiness. Why? Because one defied expectations and one did exactly what you thought they should do. My problem with the Heisman Trophy winners is this. And this is why I think you never draft them and you never bet on them to be successful. I thought Bryce Young would be an outlier. He might be. But here's why. Here's why. And I would argue this is why Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson are outliers. They defied expectations. Now, when you're the Heisman Trophy winner, when you're Caleb Williams, you're the number one guy coming out of high school. And now you're the number one guy in the NFL. Okay, when you get to the NFL, if you're anything other than the number one guy, to me, you have lived below expectations. The reason that we consider Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott successful is because, for all intents and purposes, they exceeded expectations. Kirk Cousins was not even the highest drafted quarterback in that draft on his own team. RG3 was taken ahead of him. Heisman Trophy winner. You know who else came after RG3? Who was better than RG3? Andrew Luck. Didn't win a Heisman Trophy. Say what you want about Dak Prescott, but the guy was a fourth round pick. He has exceeded expectations. Because in all reality... It's not a perfect system, but you're drafted on talent and upside. And if you're drafted at the top and you're drafted in the third round, you have a guy who's theoretically a 99 overall compared to a guy who's a 70 overall. Dak Prescott won playoff games. You remember Baker Mayfield other than that one year winning playoff games? Marks Marietta winning playoff games. Kirk Cousins wants playoff games. So that's why, to me, I look at Cam Newton and I go, yeah, no. You did what you were supposed to do. So yeah, maybe not a bust, but certainly didn't live up to expectations. And when your expectations is you're a Heisman Trophy winner, you were one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time because you were an absolute unit and unstoppable, anything other than going to a Super Bowl, to me, is living below expectations.
And that's why my I have issue with Caleb Williams. Because let's read you. Let's just read you some stats. Let's just let's just go through some of these, okay? Again, my problem with the Heisman Trophy winner is that if you face adversity, you're basically removed from contention. And let's be honest, the NFL is all about facing adversity. But let me just read you some stats. Caleb Williams versus any top 25 total defense. 51% completion. 172 yards per game. Six touchdowns, six interceptions. Caleb Williams has now lost back-to-back games. That's fine. That's reality, people. Sometimes your first year in the NFL, you're going to be on a crappy team. He has a problem with Caleb Williams. Anyone else think it's weird that when he jogs off to the sidelines, there's nobody dapping him up, tapping his helmet. He's sitting there by himself. And then, oh yeah, he's got a bad attitude. Oh yeah, he's saying, well, I want to I wanna be an owner in the NFL. I want partial ownership. And some people, when you, when you hear them talk about this, they're going to counter the point to you, well, that's just part of being good business. Oprah did that with her first show. Look how it worked out for her. Robert Downey Jr. took a percentage instead of taking more front-end money with Iron Man, and look what happened with him. Sure. Different market. Because if you could just give out partial ownership, you would also kind of be going working around the salary cap you would bench you would event essentially be extending your own salary cap which i'm not a huge fan of the other issue is from the law bylaws that i have read and i'm not perfect at this i don't understand the whole science but i'm pretty sure in order to have any ownership in a team and play at the same time it has to be unanimously voted on by all 32 NFL owners. And we know a couple things about NFL owners. We know a couple things about rich people. Let's not just limit it to NFL owners. They're not the only bad rich guys. Anyone who makes that much money thinks the same way. These guys aren't charities. They're not here to give out money for people to feel good. So, they're not going to vote unanimously because if they vote unanimously, they open the gates for every other player to come in and say, for Aaron Rodgers to have said to the Packers, oh, well, I want partial ownership because Aaron said that to the Jets. For guys like Kirk Cousins or Dak Prescott who've paid dues to their team say, you know what? I want partial ownership. And I think what would happen is we'd end up with the same thing we have with NIL where in a couple of years we realize. Yeah, that wasn't the investment that we thought it was going to be. But we all hopped on board for a second. So, yeah. Not really super blowing my mind. But I do think it's interesting, Caleb Williams asking for this. Because to me, that just goes to show everything that we've thought about Caleb Williams and that he is excessively arrogant. For a guy who's done nothing at the NFL level. Because if you told me I could have, I, I, out of coming out of college, 
I could have had Bryce Young or Caleb Williams. I'm taking Bryce Young every day. And look how Bryce is struggling. Part of it's a size thing. Part of it's a speed of the game thing. For guys who don't do adversity, keep them off of my draft board. Because I'm not the biggest believer in all of Caleb Williams. All right. Let's do a little uh, do a little college. Here's my right off the bat. Here's the deal. This is what we go with. First of all, make Michigan number one. Make Georgia number two. And then after that, let's have a discussion. Because Oklahoma is a two-point conversion away from blowing it to UCF. Washington, Michael Penix, dude. Michael Penix couldn't move the football on Arizona State who had one win coming into the day. Do not get it twisted. Arizona State is a bad football team. And Washington got into a slump. They figured something out to not only slow Michael Penix down, but to also turn him over twice. Two interceptions. And ironically enough, a pick six is what ended up winning the game for them. But, man, Washington struggled. And then Oregon struggled for a little bit. They were able to haul out at the end of that game. So, stop coming at me saying, oh, well, well, George this, George that. It's like, yeah, but at the end of the game, same with Oregon. You knew who the top dog was. Maybe they played with their food a little bit, but at the end of the game, you knew who the top dog was. Whereas, at the end of the Washington game, they lost. The Oklahoma game, it wasn't like they pulled away at the end of the fourth quarter. They struggled. Which is fun because it makes the Heisman Trophy conversation interesting just to watch Caleb Williams lose last week. Michael Penix lose. So now we got Bo Nix still undefeated. I mean, like, who do you watch and you say, They got no flaws so far. They roll everybody. Because last year, that was Georgia. This year, that's Michigan. And it's interesting right now to see what's going on with the sign stealing at Michigan. And apparently, they have undisputable video evidence that Jim Harbaugh knew about it. And he's the one responsible. Honestly, I've heard... Jim Harbaugh is a little bit of a fuzzy guy. People don't uh, love communicating with him. You don't sit there and have these warm, fuzzy, deep conversations with Jim Harbaugh. I've heard the conspiracies that this is Michigan and the NCAA's collusion to get him out of Michigan and out of college football and back into the NFL. Which is weird because the sources say that Jim Harbaugh wants to go to the NFL anyway. So I don't know that you need to push him out unless you want Michigan to really struggle on his way out. 
which I could see that. I'm sure he said some things to the NCAA and maybe even to the Michigan Athletic Department that they didn't love. And if the players didn't love him, I'd be worried, but they do, so I'm not concerned. But yeah, pucker up and make Michigan number one because they they have shown that they're number one. They have steamrolled everybody. When you got a 48-point shutout, you're steamrolling. And I get that it was against a lesser conference opponent, but it was a conference opponent. It wasn't Middle Tennessee Dental College. So, yeah, make Michigan one, make Georgia two, and then figure out what everybody else is. Because we are no longer in a world where it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It is not a pure poll format. It's tiers. There's Georgia, there's Michigan, and then there's everybody else. And don't even try to tell me that Ohio State is in that group because Ohio State and Penn State mutually destroyed each other by both of them looking terrible last week. Again, you can have a tight game where everybody's just fighting and being scrappy and both teams are really winning. Again, similar to what Oregon and Washington did two Saturdays ago. But Saturday, Penn State, Ohio State, nobody can move the football. The only time the ball did move was Marvin Harrison just said, F it, I'm down here somewhere. And then, frankly, Ohio State got bailed out with quite a few unnecessary calls. And this is my two-second PSA. Can we chill with pass interference? Like, what exactly do you want? You, <coughs> you want defensive, you want cornerbacks and safeties. You want them to just be there and not touch anybody. But then you want the receiver to just hand fight the whole time, hand check the whole time. Dude, just let them play. If it's egregious, throw the flag. But what happened yesterday in the Colts-Browns game, what happened during the Ohio State game, like pass interference is getting out of hand. And I don't want it reviewable. I want it to just not get called when it's not needed. A lot of times on Saturday felt very unneeded, and especially yesterday against the Colts, was so unneeded. Stop making or breaking the game. Let the DBs play, because that's when football is fun. So yeah, figure out where Ohio State and Penn State go, but it doesn't really matter because Michigan's going to end up winning the Big Ten anyway. Oregon is looking like the only formidable foe left, which makes things interesting because now... Washington's lost to Arizona State, but Washington holds the tiebreaker with Oregon. But Washington's resume looks terrible because they lost to a one-loss team. And I love the Pac-12, but I do wonder, do you guys think Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State or perennial powerhouses, would they lose to a one-loss conference opponent? I don't know about that one, Chief. Um, this is the last shout-out for the day. This, I thought, was like the coolest thing. And no, I'm not talking about Bear Alexander, USC's defensive tackle, 
crying at the end of the game after he was given a, a I can't remember what the call was, but he's sitting on the sideline crying after he's given a penalty. And then Caleb Williams is pissed at everyone. It was just very clear that this is an island of misfit toys. And uh, despite the talent, Lincoln Riley's ended up playing therapist instead. All right, shout out. And if you need a little motivation for your Monday, then here you go. Tyler Badgent. You're saying, who is that? Yeah. <coughs> He's the guy who came in for Justin Fields on Sunday for the Bears. Passed for over 100 yards. Touchdown. No picks. Ran around. Gave them an opportunity to win, and they did. Who is this guy? What mid uh mid-major fbs school did he go to oh yeah i didn't go to fbs school well what fcs was it at least ndsu no it wasn't even fcs which i'm sure a lot of you thought fcs was actually division two fun fact it's not this kid won essentially the heisman of division two football goes undrafted somehow plays his way to being the backup in chicago which is a little concerning but wins a game for Chicago. And you look at Brock Purdy, who's winning games in San Francisco. I would submit to you that if you get to the NFL level, and this goes back to the Heisman conversation that we were having, if you get to that level, you got the talent. You have all the tools given to you to be successful. Because I wouldn't even argue that, oh, well, they don't have the talent, but at least they're a really well-run organization. Dude, the Bears suck. And Tyler Badgett comes in, no skill, or no, no uber-level talent. Just a white guy with a big tatted arm sleeve and wins a game for the Chicago Bears in place of Justin Fields. Uh, yeah, if the intern can do your job... The company might be spending a little too much time money on you. <laughs> but this is motivation and a shout out just to say if you probably have the talent for it. Most people have the talent for it because competition, especially people who have that level of talent, it's just not that tough. So shout out to Tyler Badgett for winning a game yesterday for the sucky Chicago Bears and the team with no help and really no future. Did it anyway. Got to be making Justin Fields shaking in his boots. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out. I appreciate you doing so. We will talk on Wednesday. Cheers.